You're listening to Standing in the Gap. Standing in the Gap is a weekly podcast dedicated to the exposition of scriptures. I'm your host and podcast preacher, Brandon Harrell. I'm the pastor of Bethesda Baptist Church in East Flat Rock, nestled here in the mountains of Western North Carolina, where I've served for the past 10 years. I pray the podcast will bless your life as we study God's Word together. All right, we're in the book of Jude. We're looking at the latter part of this great epistle in verses 20 and following. There the scripture says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And to some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. Jude's epistle, of course, deals with that great apostasy of the last days, that time of falling away that would immediately precede the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jude is warning us, exhorting us of that. He sat down, we know, to write a common treatise on salvation, but was impressed of the Spirit rather to exhort us to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. We've looked at this epistle under three headings. We saw, first of all, the admonition that calls us to fight and where he exhorts us to earnestly contend for the faith. Then we looked at verses 5 through 19, and there we saw the attributes that characterize the foe. Jude lays out for us what the apostates look like, how they operate, what they do, and reminds us that they are crept in unawares. But now we're in the latter part of this epistle, and we're receiving some instruction as to how to remain faithful in that time of apostasy. No doubt as we read these things and consider them, uh, it ought to affect our hearts in such a way as to cause us to look inward to uh, search the scriptures, to know the truth, to make our calling and election sure, and to have a desire as never before to work out our own salvation. And so in these verses, Jude is giving us some ways that we can do that. I've entitled this particular portion of this epistle, The Actions That Cultivate Faithfulness in the Days of Apostasy. And thinking about these actions, they are a trifold here. In verses 20 and 21, he points us to the edification of the saints as one of the actions that is necessary to cultivate faithfulness. In verses 22 and 23, he points us to the evangelization of the straying in this cultivation of faithfulness. And then in verses 24 and 25, He speaks of the exaltation of the Savior. And if anything will help us to remain faithful in days of apostasy, it is to keep our eyes focused and fixed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, who said he would keep them in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon him. So we're looking at these six verses in those three headings. Now, as we think about this first one, the edification of the saints, 
We said, first of all, that it involves construction. There in verse 20, he says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. That has to do with the edification of the saints. We do that to ourselves. We edify ourselves through study of the word. We do that through uh, a corporate means when we attend and are faithful to and are members of a local church, exhorting one another, edifying one another through the preaching, teaching, and worship uh, centered around the word of God. But now, secondly, as we think about the edification of the saints, not only do we see in this in these verses the construction that it involves, but it also involves supplication. Notice with me, if you will, here in verse number 20, he says, praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Holy Ghost. My, what a statement. And uh, it would be easy, I guess, in one sense, to just make a few comments and move along concerning this matter of praying in the Holy Ghost. But I believe the Lord would have us to spend some time here, maybe two or three weeks, looking at this matter of praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, prayer is to the spiritual life of the believer uh, as essential as air to the physical life of the body. This fact cannot be overstated. Yet in most Christian lives, there is a readiness to admit failure in the area of prayer. We view prayer as a sort of Mount Everest in our day-to-day walk of faith. We see it as a lofty height to which only a select few ascend. We consider it to be an almost impossible task for which we are not prepared. We read of those in history who were known for their prayer lives and sigh within ourselves knowing that we've not yet apprehended that for which we've been apprehended. Though it is true that we do not pray enough or as well as we ought, it is also true that if we are actually born again, we are people of prayer. That life that comes from God is developed and sustained in an atmosphere of prayer. And though our prayers be feeble, they are just as much heard and answered as those uttered by spiritual giants in the field of prayer. The purposes of prayer, though they be fulfilled in different degrees in our lives, are fulfilled nonetheless. That feeling of dissatisfaction that we experience as we assess our prayer lives is, I believe, proof of what I've just stated. It seems to me that the attitude of many believers toward the subject of prayer is somewhat superstitious. Don't misunderstand me. Prayer is a supernatural business, but is also one that, to the child of God, is natural and practical. I shudder to think that an exposition of the verse before us would in any way discourage us from longing for that kind of prayer life that we often view as exemplary. I wouldn't want to do that. I want us to have that longing and that desire for a stronger and a better and a more fervent prayer life. But I would endeavor to encourage us in regards to what I believe it means to be praying in the Holy Ghost. There's much to be said in Scripture of prayer. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5:17, the Scripture says, Pray without ceasing. 
We're told many things and given many exhortations along these lines throughout the Scripture. So for just a little while, for just a little while today, and then as we move into this in the next couple or three weeks, let's think about the matter of praying in the Holy Ghost. First of all, there is this exhortation that we find here. Uh, This is that that would edify, that would uh, uh, cause the believer to have a means whereby they may be faithful. And in light of this, uh, if we are to remain faithful uh, during the days of the apostasy, what's being said to us here in this verse is that it is essential that we be a people of prayer. We are exhorted here to pray. We're commanded in other places to pray. I mentioned 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Just a few verses later, Paul says, Brethren, pray for us. The Lord Jesus gives a parable in Luke 18, and he says that he gave this parable to the end that uh, we might pray and not faint, that men might always be a people, that we might always be a people of prayer. We're to pray and not to faint. And he, of course, gave the parable of the importunate woman who kept going to the judge with her need and her desire and would not quit and would not give up. Uh, We're told in Colossians to continue instant in prayer. And uh, we ought to be a people of prayer. We're exhorted, yea, commanded to pray uh, and hear in the Holy Ghost. An exhortation to prayer. I don't know about you, but I know that I need to pray more. I need to be more instant in prayer. I need to continue more in prayer. Prayer uh, is seemingly every Christian I talk to, it's their weak spot in their life. And oh, how desperately we need to be a people of prayer. An exhortation to prayer. But notice then an explanation of prayer. Praying. What is it to pray? What does it mean to pray? Well, first of all, I would mention the definition of this exercise of prayer. If you look up the word, the uh, the word that's used here for praying, it really has two primary definitions or connotations. One, it is defined as wishing. And when I say that, I'm not talking about throwing a penny in a well and hoping for the best in a, in a fleshly and a sensual way. But a wish is simply a desire that is had. So to pray is to express to God our desires, to express to the Lord our uh, wishes. Now, it cannot only be that, and we'll see that in a minute, but that is really a primary function of prayer. In the book of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, he says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. We are given instruction here and an invitation to go to the Lord with our requests. Sometimes we're made to feel almost bad if we go to the Lord with a prayer list. Uh, But the Lord says, come, don't be worried about these things. If 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 you're having anxiety, if you're worried about a thing, don't be careful for those things. Bring them to me in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. Pray. Wish, make your desires known. The Lord is not disturbed or perturbed by the fact that we would bring to him our request. To pray is to bring your wishes before the Lord. But then to pray is also defined as worship. We find that as we study this word that's used for prayer here, worship. Did you know that prayer is an act of worship? 
I thought about Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, where he says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Access. Uh, the ability to be in the presence of God. I thought about the Lord's Prayer, and we'll look at this maybe a little bit later, but one of the opening statements in the model prayer that's given there for us is, Hallowed be thy name. Prayer is worship. We are to go to God in worship. Really, it's even mentioned in the verse in Philippians. He says, uh, But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Prayer is to wish, it is to make our desires known, but it is to worship. And if we are not worshiping in our praying, then we are not really praying. Prayer is worship. That's why the Lord would rebuke the repetitions of the Pharisees. They were doing things out of a sense of duty and obligation. And we're not to do things, we're not to pray in a sense of uh, something that we have to do, but rather in a sense of something that we want to do to go and to worship the Lord. The definition of this exercise of prayer. Oh, how you and I need to pray. But in that prayer, let us not only make our requests known, but let us make them known with thanksgiving, with the rendering of thanksgiving unto God. We are approaching when we pray a God who loves us. He is our Father, a God who is able to meet our need and one that is worthy of praise and honor. And when we go to him, we can not only thank him for who he is and what he has done, but we can thank him knowing that what we are about to ask, he is well able to accomplish in our lives. Praying in the Holy Ghost. We'll look at this further the next time on Standing in the Gap. Till then, God bless you. This has been Pastor Brandon. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast today. I hope it's been a blessing to you. If you'd like to contact me, you can find our church's website at www.BethesdaBaptistEastFlatRock.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at PreacherB underscore BBC. If you'd like to watch our services live streamed, you can do that on Facebook at Bethesda Baptist East Flat Rock. God bless you till we meet again.